Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Hi, you're listening to The Nine Line Podcast. I'm John Archiquette. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joshua Gray. Hi. How you doing? I'm nice to have you back. I know. Finally, again. Why is it always you get days off and because, I've got a co-host? Well, because I know how much you love the Healthy Teaching Kitchen and how you wanted to be a part of that. So I figured I would let you run that discussion. And you did a great job. Thanks, John. Uh, gee, you know, I've just been sitting here for like the last two weeks waiting for your validation. And now that I have it, I'm just... So, oh, my heart is so full. Yes. Well, I, I was sad that I had to miss it, but um, I, I knew that we were having Dr. Daisling, Dr. Kung on this week, so I needed to make sure that I was here. So you, you like cut your leave short for this, didn't you? I did. Yeah. You were you were out there, and you're like, man, I was going to drive back, but now I'm going to fly because we got these guys on. <laughs> these are these are two of our my, my favorite guests, anyways. I don't know about John. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So welcome, Dr. Daisling, Dr. Kung. It's Thank good you. to be here. Welcome. Uh, it's great to have you guys back. Uh, you know, it's been probably three months, two months? It was right before the, the last one. It was December. Yeah, yeah it was, it was two months. Yeah. It's, it's like now, it, it's funny now, working in public affairs, we tell all of our time by what period of the vaccine distribution yeah, we were right. in. Yeah. Yes. I remember we had you guys on right before we started distributing that's the right. vaccine, that's which right. was in December. So, right. yeah, that's how I tell time now. It, yep. It's all vaccine hours. <laughs> yeah, pre, pre and post-pandemic. Everything yeah. on my timeline is everything that happened before the pandemic yeah. and everything that happened after the pandemic. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, it, you know, even further, you can, you know, basically divide it into things that have happened pre-vaccine and the things that have yes, happened post-vaccine. Right? Yes, yes. Because, yeah. uh, you know, the, the way that we've been, you know, kind of, Scaling our operations here has changed drastically because we've yes. become so focused on getting the vaccine That's out right. there. That's right. Um, you know, in, in that four months, we've seen, you know, not only have we vaccinated our healthcare staff, our frontline healthcare workers, uh, we got to our elderly and most vulnerable population of veterans. We got to, you know, we went down the, the age brackets as, mm-hmm. you know, as set aside by the CDC guidelines. Um, and now we are vaccinating all veterans, yep, all veterans, all enrolled veterans. Fantastic. And, um, with the save lives act that was, uh, just passed a couple weeks ago, um, you know, we're in the process of implementing that again, once resources are available, we're going to make it open to spouses, That's caretakers right. and okay. non-enrolled veterans as well. Absolutely. So, you know, we've, we've seen a great expansion in, in the number of people who are getting it. We're at 94% of our employees. 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 Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No hesitancy there. <laughs> no, I, you know, it's, I would say, having worked in healthcare, this place is probably the safest place I could be in the entirety of Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel that way too. And, That's you know, even with everyone still masking up and, you know, mm-hmm. we're still maintaining our, our physical distancing here, um, you know, we've had one case maybe in the last month or so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, of employee um, infection and, you know, with 94% rate and with seeing that much of a decrease compared to the general community, yep. um, it's, you know, it's a small sample size, but anecdotally, it feels like we are making a difference here. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think the proof is in the pudding. I know we're talking about the vaccine and, uh, you know, whether it works or not, the safety and things like that. We currently have no employees with COVID. And this is the first time since the entirety of the pandemic, I think. Right, Dr. Yeah. Daisley? Where we don't have any employees. Uh, none of the employees got it from working with COVID. So, you know, that's a testament to what we've done here in terms of our PPE and, and our safety. 
the good thing about it is it's maintained too because sometimes we'll go down to zero and then the next day we're back up to one mm -hmm. or two and mm -hmm. then continues mm -hmm. to climb but at mm -hmm. this point it's maintained at zero for several weeks in a row that's right that's right and so you know our employees you know have lives of their own their kids are going back to school and things like that uh but that thing i think that's a testament uh compared to even the community and we're having pretty good penetration in the community at least 49 percent of our las vegas uh, eligible population has at least one shot uh, but the numbers uh, don't lie. And so, you know, the fact that we have no employees now with any COVID and that's been sustained for a while, mm -hmm. I think, is a testament to what we've done and, you know, how good and how diligent we have been. What do you attribute that to? Uh, obviously, you know, you've got a pool of 3,000 people, sure. and that's that's a lot easier to vaccinate than, at least here in Las Vegas, a pool of 2.3 million people. Um, but what do you kind of attribute that to, that, that there doesn't seem to be that amount of hesitancy here that you're seeing out in the general community? You know, I, the director said it best. Uh, we were the one of the first VAs to get the vaccine. We were actually one of the first VAs to get a COVID patient, and then we had a lot of national attention uh, to get PPE. But now we are also one of the first uh, VAs to get the vaccine. That was a privilege for all of the hard work that we had done. That was, in, a, in essence, a reward for how well we took care of the veterans and how many we took care of. And I think that that approach and that mentality translated into our staff. We were all very proud of the work that we had done. We looked at getting the vaccine as not um, a burden, even though you know it, it's not a requirement for work. But we looked at it as a reward and as a job well done. And we were happy to continue our mission, which we've never interrupted. And I think that that's a reflection of our teammates. Yeah, and I think overall, people were really informed at the time. They took the opportunity to listen and to also look at the scientific data. They understood that it was safe. And I think that really helped. And then the way it rolled out was phenomenal. Just the way the pod you know, point of dispensing was formed in the auditorium and the way it was done so quickly for each patient so they, or employees so they could just come in and quickly get in, wait 15 minutes to make sure they didn't have any reaction. We didn't even, we haven't seen any significant adverse events mm -hmm. and they were able to go. And I think overall people were able to wait and see for those that did hesitate and saw that there were no issues and then they were able to be the next ones to, to get in line for it. So I think it's been run very well consistently. The communication's been there and overall public affairs has been fantastic for that. So thanks. Nice. So one of the, the biggest, you know, priorities, first of all, was just getting it, you know, available to everyone who is eligible and to make it, you know, available to as many people as possible. And we've done that through not only expanding the age groups, but also bringing it to veterans. You know, we started for the first couple months having it only available here at the medical center. And then as, you know, more resources were available, we started expanding it out to our primary care clinics. We've done rural outreach. We've done clinics in Pahrump and Laughlin now. Um, we've done uh, some veteran-focused events at uh, like homeless shelters, the USA Vets. Um, mm -hmm. we've, we've gone out to areas where we have a lot of HUDVASH veterans mm -hmm. uh, just to make sure that we can get it to the people who don't maybe have the transportation. Right. Uh, so, you know, that's the first phase. But I think the second phase now is trying to reach out to those veterans who may be are still hesitant, you know, still have that hesitancy and still, you know, it's available. They know it's available, yeah. but they don't know why they need to get it. Sure. So what are you guys hearing from veterans you've talked to that maybe are still on the fence about it? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm getting some that are really concerned that it's going to be harmful. And a lot of it comes from what they're seeing on the social media. The social media will have like some 
testimonial or something that happened where somebody got sick from it or died from it without any evidence to say if that really did occur. And so, of course, that's what they're going to believe and they're going to make their decision based on that. So we can oftentimes build a relationship or if we don't have one already and we can discuss those issues with them so that we can get through that as well as if they feel like it's a, a matter of politics or if they feel like it's a matter of pharmaceutical companies that we don't have trust in because it's all about money, Mm -hmm. that comes into the conversation as well. And I think a lot of times, sometimes even, maybe faith may be included in there. So if we are involved in some sort of faith, we can discuss that at their level. Um, And I feel like uh, if we can just reach them and really listen and understand what they're saying, that is really where I've seen some success with regards to talking about Uh, getting the vaccine when there's hesitancy. Yeah, I think listening is the most important part. Um, There are no illegitimate concerns. We, you know, Dr. Daisy and I ourselves had questions about efficacy, questions about safety. Uh, Was it appropriate for everybody? We don't always have all of the answers, but we were looking at the data. You know, I think um, one of the largest concerns that veterans have besides the safety part of it because they don't get access to the data and we fortunately have been able to as government employees is the motivation right mm-hmm. is this a government project is this a pharmaceutical project is this a money cash grab you know both of us are we are all federal employees so we are certainly not in it for the money you know or the prestige here um but i think you know dr daisley and i you know when we put on the white coat we did take an oath to do no harm and as part of our hippocratic oath the veterans interest is always first and foremost in our minds so we would never ever compromise that in any way shape or form Uh, We're saying that here on the podcast because what we try to do, as we do with all veterans, even in our own clinic, if it's not COVID related, is to establish that level of trust. They know that we are there for them and have their best interest at heart, and we'll be always advocating and arguing for them. So I will never push anything that I think is unwarranted or unsafe on a veteran. So all concerns are legitimate, I think, but I think we do have some answers for everyone. So so how do you approach it then when you know you give your medical science-based opinion and somebody says they want a second opinion, but it's pretty clear they're going to Dr. Google? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a good one. I think a lot of times we can, without pressure, just continue the, that discussion with each subsequent visit. You know, And I think as we continue to build that relationship, show them that what they're there for, whatever medical concern they're there for, is being treated and they're feeling better and they're doing better. That has really helped a lot too, because I've had patients like that where they come in and they're there for a completely different reason. But they realize their medical care is being acknowledged. It's being addressed, not by just me, because it's Mm -hmm. a team effort a lot of times. I'm working with pulmonary, pulmonary critical care, gastroenterology, others that are also working on the team. And they see that we have this connection, this network, and we're working together so we can help them in order to also assist them with other issues they have with their health. And this is definitely topical and and highly something that's really going to help them. Like those patients that I've had that have had COVID in the past and they have Mm -hmm. some of those symptoms that go on and on and on, talking about how the vaccine could actually help them to diminish those uh, symptoms that they're having. And we've gotten lots of report of that. And I've had personal experience with patients with that as well, where it's actually helped. And so I think getting at that level also is, is uh, quite helpful. So we've heard this described a bunch from the president to 
the CDC to everybody as as a race against time. Mm-hmm. We we've got to keep, get people vaccinated before we get a variant mm-hmm. or, or a mutation that takes all of this work and just renders it uh, moot. Right. right. So, do you feel then that you have the time to to have those discussions with people to kind of change their mind? Because to me, it sounds like you know when I see them next, that's that's not tomorrow. That's you know a week or two weeks or three weeks down the road that somebody's unvaccinated and potentially an incubator for a variant. So, do you feel like like? you have you're able to make headway against that when if you don't see somebody for another three weeks they're on facebook that entire time is that i mean is that something that you can deal with a lot of it has to do with how much influence you can make during that visit with whatever you're doing i think that we're not going to reach everybody but at least if we can plant those seeds and i know sometimes it's going to be a week or two weeks or maybe a month down the line and oftentimes i'll actually call the patient too and see where they're at with whatever it is their concern is and also bring that up. And I think that results in also some success in them getting the vaccine sooner sooner, and also talking about where they can get it, where it's a little easier for them to get it. Sometimes we'll talk about different places where they have an option between the different vaccine and discuss the importance about each of those vaccines that might be helpful for them. And I think discussing that really helps so that they get on that level of trust. Yeah, I think, you know, the vaccine is only one arrow in the quiver, right? So, yes, there is a time element. And if the virus can't replicate, then it can't mutate. Um, But believe it or not, most veterans are interested, as in they have questions. So they actually are more proactive. They come to me with their questions. So I plant the seed, like Dr. Daisley is saying. But maybe my next visit is three weeks, four weeks away. They actually call ahead of time. They found out something new. You know, Dr. Google is something that we always think about here. And again, I don't have a problem with that. I We like very well-informed and well-educated patients and veterans. That's not the problem. What we offer different than Dr. Google is the individuality. That's the thing, right? So it is different. The questions people may have, the disease presentation, the effects of the vaccine may be different for each person. Mm-hmm. It's Everybody has a different reaction to whatever vaccine. What we offer that's different than Dr. Google, I think, is that individual approach. The one veteran in front of me can say he or she has a particular question, a particular concern, a particular condition, even if it's not related to COVID. And that's something that I think we offer that's different that will still keep us in business forever, even though Dr. Google is out there. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with Dr. Daisley and Dr. Kung talking about some uh, COVID vaccination fallacies and how to combat them. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. Question, what will you find on all over-the-counter or OTC medicine packages to help you choose the right drug and use it safely? The answer, the drug facts label. This label lists the medicine's active ingredients and purpose, how much to take, and warnings you should know before using it. Remember, even OTC medicines you buy without a prescription can cause side effects you don't want. So follow the information listed on the drug facts label. For more information, visit fda.gov slash drug facts label. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel. We show up differently, worship differently, and have found new ways to express our love and support to family and friends. But now there are vaccines. 
and they are the first step that lets us get back into the things we miss most. Like spreading the word without spreading concern, girls tripping instead of solo sipping, brunching instead of late night munching, and talking smack with a side of mac and cheese. It's okay to have questions about COVID-19 vaccines. Should I get it? Should I wait? Is it safe? Can I trust it? What about pre-existing conditions? Now get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision when COVID-19 vaccines are available to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Welcome back to The Nine Line. John, Josh here with Dr. Kung and Dr. Daisley. So we have a few questions that we want to go through, some maybe frequently asked questions that uh, that we've found people asking online or, you know, in conversations with people. Um, you know, if you're somebody who is still on the fence about getting the vaccine and you, you were kind of waiting for that first generation of, of doses to get through and, to, you know, to see you know, whether or not it's safe. Do you think we're at the point where, you know, four months in, we realize that the short-term effects are not negative? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there are two two elements to looking at safety. One is longevity, which we don't have, unfortunately, but we're learning as we go along. The other is volume. We've given millions and millions of doses to um, all spectrum of people, you know, um, Young and old, we have started to give to children, for example, pregnant patients, immunosuppressed patients. Uh, Dr. Daisley and I were subspecialists, so we see sometimes the sickest of the sick in the hospital. And we have uh, seen the efficaciousness, the safety of the vaccines on some of these people. So, you know, I know that there are healthy people who may have questions about this. We've given it to so many people now that we do have the advantage of having those great numbers. The other thing that we have unique, I think, to the VA system is we actually have a VA database that is distinct from all of the other hospitals. So even if other hospitals don't necessarily report their data to the CDC or whatnot, the VA in and of itself keeps a lot of this information. So that's very, very helpful to look at how we are helping the veterans with the vaccine. Yeah, and I think that uh, there's also that degree of initially when we were looking at the phase trials, it was all about efficacy and safety. Now we're seeing in the real world how effective it really Mm -hmm. is. And we're not seeing signals that are significant for any, you know, life altering uh, health uh, mm-hmm. concerns or changes. Mm-hmm. At this point, I think the transparency really is there. We're seeing that as we see the AstraZeneca issue come up, mm-hmm. where we're looking at the concerns with blood clots or the concerns with non-transparent data. And I think initially they came out with a certain percentage of e- efficacy and we're looking at it and thinking about sort of the metaphor of somebody on their tippy toes when you're trying to measure their height. Mm-hmm. And that's really come out because mm-hmm. then they had to come out and adjust it because that information was not timely. It was like old data with mixed with new data. And so there was really uh, problems from the very get-go with that. And the FDA honed in on that. And they realized, well, you know, and if we can trust anybody, it would have to be the FDA. They realized, well, this is not transparent data. We have to reject it for now until we can get better information regarding that. And that really helps us as we look at the effectiveness out in the community. And there's tons of really good studies out there in the 
and some of the scientific journals that discuss that too. Mm-hmm. Now, those issues that you're just talking about, was that specific to the AstraZeneca? Yes, yes. Okay. Yes. Now, AstraZeneca is not one of the emergency use approved vaccinations. Correct. It's yeah, currently yeah, right. only the Janssen slash Johnson and Johnson, right. Pfizer, and Moderna, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay, so AstraZeneca was being primarily distributed throughout the EU. Yeah, correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. So they had it in Europe. They've had it in other nations, the UK, of course. Mm-hmm. And they've been using it widely there and gave over 100 million doses. And it even had to be halted there because of some of the concerns with the information that was brought out of primarily about the blood clot issue, which was minor in comparison to the data that was rendered. So knowing that, that you know, we were able to kind of weed that out before it got to the emergency use authorization portion, um, you know, obviously there is some level of, <laughs> of strict measures that to get that approval, but what we haven't seen a full FDA approval for any of these vaccinations, right? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. So why is that? You know, we, we, when we talked about the vaccine in the very beginning, um, everyone was so surprised at the timeline. You know, one of the concerns I think a lot of people have is that we develop these so quickly, when in actuality, these haven't been in development for years. The mRNA vaccine for specifically coronavirus has been in development for four years. Um, so now we're faced with the question, well, why is the FDA improving so quickly? The original process for FDA approval is actually very, very long. It can be upwards of 18 months to three years for some medication. Insulin, for example, took almost five to 10 years. Um, and so we've abbreviated that process in the same way that we have started to do our pre-work, in other words, our homework for developing the vaccine. The FDA did their homework in regards to the pre-approval process too. So the data we looked at was from all the original studies. And so we were able to somewhat shorten the FDA approval process by cutting out some of the usual things that the, you know a company has to go to, not in regards to safety, just in regards to time. And, and that's kind of, it, it seems like that's kind of like put us in a in a bit of a bind now because of the way some of the messaging has gone. You know, <laughs> normally, normally that FDA process is so long because you, you observe it for two years, three yes. years, and you can say definitively, this is how long the immunity lasts yeah, for. Right. Like I was talking with a friend um, uh, earlier this week, yep. and you know one of one of the companies came out and said this vaccine is good for at least six months, right? Because that's all the time they've had to observe it, that's right? right? Because that's of right. the the EUA, and 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 my friend was like, this thing only lasts for six months. I'm like, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Right. It doesn't say. Only six months. That's right. It says at least because that's they're doing. Yeah, that's as far as it's been, been six at, months exactly. Right? So I mean, how much does that add to the 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 misconceptions that you have to break? That not only yep. you know you have people that think it's you know rewriting your DNA right. and it's a five G right. chip and, right. and all of this, this other stuff, right. but then you've got people who are genuinely on board with it, but now kind of misinterpret the data or have it filtered for them yep. and they go well this is only good for six months i'm not going to bother because i don't want to get stuck every six months right you know one of our jobs is to look at all of the data and research um the reason they tasked us with doing it is because we routinely do this in other words we look at research project look at the data that companies release to see if it's legitimate or not and whether or not we are comfortable with it and the reason the messaging changes is exactly like you said. We said it was good for three months at three months' time. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're at six months. So we know it's good for six months. And, you know, the information will start to solidify as we start to move on. 
I know that people, you know, have gotten on uh, public messaging about masking. In the beginning, we said, you know, don't mask because you want to save for healthcare workers and things like that. Um, we are we do get frustrated with that too. Our learning of how to treat COVID has changed over time. Um, but as more information comes in, we adjust our way of thinking. And I think that that is not a fault. That is a feature of the process that we can learn. And that's what I urge everyone to do. Everyone likes to be intelligent about their, you know, go to Dr. Google, about their own medical care. <laughs> but as more information comes through, it is okay to change your mind, change your position. This is what we're talking about, vaccine hesitancy, as more information comes through. And I think that that's a robust part of the scientific process, not a bad part. Yeah, and I think that one thing we have to recall also or just understand is on the emergency youth authorization, this is something that has just as much rigor as the formal process of the of the formal licensing. And so we, in, in understanding that it has the same rigors, the same background, it has the same peer review that we uh, are a part of, which is wonderful to be a part of that whole, you know, reviewing the data, making sure it's legitimate, comes out as press release. And that's a problem for us because we don't get to see the data. We just get to see the final result and then hope that that information mm -hmm. is legit. But once we've reviewed it so far, we've seen that all that has just come out just exactly the way they explained it. Right. And yeah. that's that's important. We've never, not Gradesi and Line nor the FDA, have skipped a step. Exactly. Dr. Daisley hasn't taken a vacation since the beginning of the pandemic. So what we have done is shorten some of the steps, but we've never skipped or cut any corners. And I want to emphasize that to yeah, all of our Yeah, it's just the formality, listening. exactly the way you're talking about it. It's just the formality of it. They know that they have to go through a certain process. It's going to be 18 months. We're just going to cut that time. But we already have the information that's just mm -hmm. as rigorous. And as robust, that's yeah. right. Yeah, you know, we, we talked a little bit about some of the reasons why people have some hesitancy towards getting the getting the vaccine. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I just kind of mentioned uh, a minute ago, like the people who think it's going to be a 5G chip or, or sure. it's going to rewrite your DNA or something like sure. that. And, and because, you know, the most extreme views are usually the loudest people and they get the most attention. I think there's a lot of people out there that think that everybody who has hesitancy about the vaccine is some conspiracy theory mm -hmm. follower. Mm -hmm. How how many people have you seen literally come to you and say, I don't want this because it's going to rewrite my DNA? Or is it just people that have maybe a faith concern or they're not, they, they don't, there's not enough data out there, mm -hmm. kind of like the both of you were, mm -hmm. at, you know, six months ago. I think that at this point, a lot of people, at least in my view, are kind of not forthright when it comes to whether or not they think that there's virus in it or that there's a chip in there or something like that. I usually have to discern that and just start explaining <laughs> okay. things, not going wild on the explanation, but kind of explaining, well, yeah, there's no virus in this. This is just a signal for your cell. It's not going to get inside your nucleus, so it's not going to change your genetics at all. And there's no way there's gonna they're gonna have any microchip in there or nanoparticles, and there's no fetal material, et cetera. I I will explain it to the level that they need the explanation. And a lot of times I've noticed they say, "Oh, okay, that explains it. Okay, great." <laughs> and see, and, and then I can just stop there. I don't have to go through the whole rigor mortem, which is probably worse to bring up all that, because maybe that wasn't a concern until then. And then they're gonna look it up in Doctor Google. <laughs> <laughs> see, and you have a, a much uh, you you have a, a a much easier time doing that because me if I. I run into those people. I just tell them that, that all of my Bluetooth stuff works great now that I've gotten the vaccine, <laughs> right? I don't, I, you can't do that. So I feel for you guys a little bit. You know, one other camp that, that you know, seems to have some, some misinformation, you know, you've got people who are hesitant about getting the vaccine to begin with, but then you've got another camp of people who 
are willing to get the vaccine or have gotten the vaccine, but now they're like, okay, cool, I'm done. <laughs> like, we're all good, right? I mean, like, this is all over, mask off, and, you know, just going to go buddy up to somebody, you know, at a grocery store or, you know, like, start shaking hands with people or whatever, you know. How do you try to tell that camp that it's like, oh, no, we're not done yet? <laughs> and I think they, if they understand the efficacy is only limited to what they studied. So it's 94%. And then we're getting new studies that are talking about different populations, especially with the variant present and maybe only to that level. So just understanding and also the transmission. Yeah, there's studies that indicate there's probably less ability for those that are vaccinated fully to transmit, that may not be an issue as much anymore, but we still feel like we, we at least the, the latest study that I saw shows that it reduces at 80%. So there's still 20% of that ability to transmit to other mm-hmm, people. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. that's where the mask comes in, the distancing, mm-hmm. the, the, the hygiene is always an important thing, no matter what, because there's all sorts of other infectious concerns, which I get to see mm-hmm, every single mm-hmm, day in Dr. Mm-hmm, Kung as well. Mm-hmm. And so we have to always be, uh, I guess, mindful of that. And a lot of people don't realize that. So. so when we first started talking about vaccines five months ago with, with you, the big question was, does it, does it stop disease? disease or does it stop infection? Mm-hmm. And it seems anecdotally now, there's as more and more little anecdotal chunks of 3,000 people here, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 4,000 people there, mm-hmm. starts coming in mm-hmm. that, that it stops infection, right? And even if it's to that, that, that 80%, mm-hmm. um, where, where's the balancing point where we can say, okay, you know, there's just an accepted risk and, you know, go on with your lives. Yeah, and I think to start, it's it's more that it's going to um, limit the amount of disease. That's yes. where the, the thing right. is. So, yes, people still may get infected. They're still going to have mild symptoms probably if they do get infected. And if they get a variant or if they get reinfected for some reason, that may still persist and they still may, may be able to spread it to other people. But we have to continue to wait for more information regarding the transmissibility. Plus, we have to wait to make sure we get the herd immunity percentages yes. up to a certain level. And I think that is going to be key for us to get to that level. And then for us to say, well, there's this level of positivity in our community and it's maintained that way for a significant number amount of time. Like in our community right now, it get, got down to four and we're like, great, that's below five. WHO says we are much safer than we were before. We can start considering opening up. But then now we see it upticking again. And people, I think, are still thinking yeah. this is in the rear view mirror. You know, we're like, <laughs> hey, we're back in the pandemic days, but we're still in this. And I think we still will be in it for some time. Why are we seeing that uptick right now? Well, first of all, when you look at the casinos in those areas around us, they're only supposed to be up to 50% capacity. But I know because I have connections there that it's up to 98%, unfortunately. And you see that it's just kind of like it was before as far as the numbers that are there. And I'm not just talking about the weekend. We're talking about tourists that are coming during the weekdays. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times people are just completely fatigued with the whole quarantining, et cetera, <laughs> me included. And we hate wearing the mask, but we that's the thing that we have to be vigilant about. And I think that's the issue where we are just getting tired. Gatherings just occurred. Spring break just occurred. Mm-hmm. We see all sorts of things out in the community mm-hmm. that we don't like. I mean, I'll gladly raise my hand and say I'm, I'm in that camp because like I've been vaccinated. 
all of my friends are either either healthcare workers or teachers mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. casino workers. They've all been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. My wife has it, has had it now. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to go. Like <laughs> like if if I've got a pot of friends where they've all been vaccinated, party time. Like let's let's have a barbecue. Right. You know. So what would you say to people like like me? You know, and, and I'll put myself out there as the example. Am, am I being dumb? Or, you know, is there a calculated risk there? Or what What would you say to me? Well, I think even the CDC is indicating right now that, yeah, there's probably less risk. But then we don't know for sure. We still are sort of grappling with how much durability, how long the durability will be, how much spread there is. If you get reinfected, then it's going to mutate mm. again. And we're going to still be dealing with more and more of the variant that's out there. And we're getting more information about the variants all the time. Those that are so close to home <laughs> that we get to continue to, to work with. Because I, I feel at some point there's a little bit of maybe unintentional mixed messaging. Like when I see the CDC say fully vaccinated people are free to travel, like if you're willing to put me, even with a mask and things, in a tube with 150 random people <laughs> for four hours, then yeah. you know it's 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 hard to not see that and go, all right, let's go. You know, so I think there's a difference between traveling responsibly and going to uh-huh. see family members or things like that than you know going to spring break in hotbeds <laughs> like Florida yeah, or, sure. or Michigan. Yeah, sure. Right. right. Nobody spring right. break nobody spring breaks in Michigan. <laughs> I, I know they're say, having a spike right now. It ain't because of spring break. Right. <laughs> they do say travel, but you know, limit it to those that are really needful travels, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that uh, kind of summarizes. It's a good place to end it, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you both again for joining us. Um, you. you know, obviously, this is a, an ongoing battle that we're going to continue to fight, and uh, you know, hopefully, the next time we have you guys on, it'll be you know a little further towards the the light at the end of the tunnel. I agree. I think we're getting there. I think yeah. we really are. Me too. It's a very hopeful time. It is. Yeah, exactly. It is. And we're optimistic. Light is there at yeah. the end of the tunnel somewhere, and it's not a train. <laughs> Yeah, we <laughs> <laughs> talked about that before. You're like, it's train this time. All right, thanks, folks, for listening, and we will see you guys in two weeks. You've been listening to the Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Las Vegas VA. Thanks for listening.